0: Welcome to this podcast series about investing in emerging markets into the new decade. It's fair to say that the emerging market universe of today looks very different from that of the 1990s. Indeed, the various economies that make up emerging markets have come a long way. Their rapid development has been nothing but astounding. In this first episode, we look ahead with Valeria Vine. Valeria is Equity Investment Specialist at Capital Group. How will emerging markets develop in the coming decade? And also, we'll try to answer the most important question for you as an investor. What are the structural changes and tailwinds that will drive the region's growth? Valeria, welcome. Wonderful to have you. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. How are you? Splendid. Well, that's great. Um, Maybe tell me, what does an equity investment specialist at Capital Group do during her day? How do you start your day?
1: So typically I start my day with a bit of exercise and then some news and a coffee. So <laughs>
0: that's the usual start. That sounds really good. I like the active approach. <laughs> and then you, you dive into the news straight away, probably.
1: Yes, yeah, some news, um, checking the emails, making sure I'm up to date with all the research that's getting published internally. It's very important for our role, naturally.
0: Right, I understand. And now I believe that Capital Group was the first Asset Manager with an Emerging Markets Equity Fund uh, in the year 1986. Uh, Your fund is called the Capital Group Emerging Markets Growth Fund. Uh, Can you tell us what prompted that fund?
1: Sure. So we were first approached by the International Finance Corporation, which is a subsidiary of the World Bank, to start this global Emerging Markets Equity Fund. And the idea was to improve people's lives and boost growth in these regions by attracting foreign capital and encouraging the development of the private sector in these countries.
0: Okay, and and now we're 35 years down the road. What would you say did those 35 years of investing in emerging markets teach Capital Group? Quite a
1: lot. Um, I think probably one of the first things is that you really have to take a long-term approach. As you know, volatility can be higher in emerging markets than it is in developed markets. And having the patience and the long time horizon can really help. If we think back to what happened in February and March last year, for instance, you know, those those months of quite quite severe volatility and, and sell-offs can be alarming to investors. But if your, if your investment horizon is several years, well, these periods of volatility, they can actually be buying opportunities. So that's probably the first one. The second thing that we've learned is that in emerging markets, you really have to do your homework, right? So fundamental research is key. Companies are often under-researched, non-executive directors still have less power than they do in some of the developed markets, and state ownership is still quite quite rampant, actually. And generally, the shareholder activism is lower. So... You know, homework, doing your homework and doing fundamental research is key. And then the final thing is that emerging markets are constantly evolving. And the opportunity set is changing very rapidly. And using an index to capture this opportunity set may not necessarily do it in the best way.
0: Hmm. Okay. So I hear three things. It's about the long term. It's about research, doing your homework, like you say, and also uh, maybe not going with an index because the market are constantly uh, evolving. Uh, let's go back to that first point, that long term. Uh, Valeria, why do you think that investors uh, should allocate to emerging markets in the coming 10 years with that long horizon in mind?
1: Sure. It's, it's a great question. I guess emerging markets... Are growing faster than developed markets. That was certainly the case back in 1986. It still remains the case today. So the the forecast for GDP growth is much better. I think about seven percent for uh, for emerging markets versus about five percent for developed markets for 2021. You know, the, Emerging markets are home to the majority of the world's population. I think about 86% of the world's population lives outside of of developed markets. And these are often countries with better demographics. So these are younger populations, they are economically active populations, and they are seeing um, a very good growth of disposable income, right? So disposable income is forecasted to grow about 7% for emerging market countries versus 2% for developed market countries, and that's sort of over the next um, 10 years. So these these interesting trends create a lot of opportunities and typically does translate into better earnings growth as well. And however, despite these better earnings growth prospects, what we're observing now is that emerging market equities are still trading at a significant discount to developed markets. So you have better earnings growth and attractive valuations.
0: So, yeah, it's all all, all the ingredients are there. Um, When we talk about emerging markets, also frontier markets uh, pop up. Can you maybe explain to us what are frontier markets? Um, Would you consider this to be a separate asset class?
1: So typically we wouldn't necessarily consider them to be a separate asset class. It's just countries at an earlier stage of economic development, often they're they either don't have an equity market yet or it's um, it's a less liquid, less diverse equity market at this stage. So when you are looking to capture growth in some of these regions, it can be helpful to think a little bit outside of the, of the equity box. So, for instance, one way would be to invest in emerging market debt. Another way would be to invest in companies that generate their revenues in these countries. So we call this a, a new geography approach, where instead of looking at where the company is domiciled, we we'll look where the revenues are being generated.
0: Hmm. Now, emerging market equities have lagged the wider market in the decades after the start of the global financial crisis. Why should we expect the coming 10 years then to be different, Valeria?
1: It's a great question. I think if we look back to 2010, 2011, at this point, there was this end of commodity super cycle. And at that point, extractive industries, so think energy, metals and mining, they are about a quarter of the entire MSCI EM index. These industries now make up less than 10% of the MSCI EM index. So instead, you actually have a lot of companies there are sources of true innovation in healthcare, and e-commerce, and digital payments. And these are typically the, the type of companies that, A, are able to grow their earnings faster, and B, they are also tend to warrant a higher valuation in the first place. And we can see that now, that there is an actual earnings growth differential. So if we look at the, uh, at the forecasted, next 12-month forecasted earnings, for uh, emerging markets versus developed markets, there used not be over the last 10 years a significant uh, premium, a significant divergence in the two, but we are now seeing that happen. So, at the moment emerging markets are forecasted to grow their earnings about 25% over the next 12 months versus 20% for uh, for developed market companies. So, um, you know, this, uh, this earnings growth differential should also warrant a re-rating. And I guess another another quite important thing is if we think back, sort of, you know, back to 2010, maybe early 2013, um, and the, the taper tantrum um, scenario that was that was sort of unfolding and certainly hurting a number of of, of emerging markets. Um, you know, we, what we had back then is a emerging markets were actually quite expensive comparing to developed markets. Plus, a number of countries had current account deficits, and their effects rates were. Uh, overvalued. So this is definitely not the case now, where a lot of countries have uh, switched into current account surpluses. Plus, the EM um, EM currency are generally viewed as being quite cheap at
0: the moment. Hmm. If we take a look at current affairs with the uh, pandemic, uh, maybe a problem for emerging markets is that their corona vaccination rates um, tend to be lower compared to those in in developed uh, counterparts. How do you look at that? How do you see that develop?
1: You know, sadly, it is true that some countries were able to secure the vaccine supply much better than others, and not necessarily developed versus emerging. There are a number of countries... In the developed world, that have also either struggled to secure the necessary supplies or to motivate the populations in those countries to to take the vaccines, Mm. Um, which is um, not not great for sort of achieving um, the the, the, the required level of, of vaccination globally. Exactly. But the good news is that more vaccines are coming to market. Um, um, for example, there is a Chinese company, a vaccine maker, that has recently received uh, an approval for um, for, for their COVID nineteen vaccine. It's not based on mRNA; it's based on adenovirus, but it's um, it's a one shot vaccine. It requires mm-hmm. normal um, storage temperatures. And, and those are the kind of things that are more likely to to be used in, uh, in emerging markets. I think there's every, every sort of opportunity for hope is there that um, as more and more vaccines get developed, emerging markets will also reach the same level of vaccination as we, um, we, we observe in the UK, for instance. Right, right.
0: Uh, now, in a recent ebook, you wrote that the secular growth trends that have existed long before the coronavirus outbreak could continue to flourish in the next decade. Uh, could you tell us which trends you are referring to?
1: Sure. Uh, so, we've, yeah, we've identified these ten key trends that uh, we believe will be driving. Um, interesting opportunities and, and producing good shareholder returns in emerging markets over the next um, 10 years. It seems like a good uh, good investment horizon. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and these, I guess, can be grouped into several categories. So if we think about a couple of trends such as rising incomes and expanding middle class, well, the kind of investment opportunities that we see that can arise from that are the, the demand for luxury goods, for instance, the demand for travel, and also the demand for financial services, so not just traditional banking, but also insurance, for instance, and so on. Then there are opportunities that come out of this this, this more innovative opportunity set within EM. So um, these are the kind of um, opportunities that we find in healthcare, so particularly within the biotechnology industry in China, uh, in digital payments. So before even even before COVID nineteen, there was this you know long running theme of, of switching from cash to um electronic payments of course with <laughs> with coronavirus nobody wanted to uh, to touch cash anymore so certainly that trend has received a boost but that is um that is not to say that that is where the growth stops right so this is a, a very long running theme and once the conveniences of 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 this or of internet shopping, for instance, mm-hmm. have been sampled. It's, it's, uh, it's difficult to go back to old habits as, as a consumer. Right,
0: right. The world has definitely changed. So these trends looking, yeah, more to continue rather than to, to stop, I would say.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then, of course, we also touch upon... Them. Finding best ways to access some of the opportunities in the frontier markets as well, and it's it's around what we've discussed before, where you know the opportunity mm. set in some of these markets is is still quite limited, often to old economy stocks. But it, that's not to say that these trends, such as digitalization, such as internet, e-commerce, food delivery, and so on, are not taking place there. It's just often these. Um, these trends are serviced by companies that are based outside um, of some of these countries. So again, we have to think about a little bit outside of the box in terms of how we access some of these opportunities.
0: Hmm. And and we are going to dive deeper into all of these trends in the coming podcasts in this series. So stay tuned for for more information. Uh, Which of these trends, Valeria, do you expect to be important drivers of corporate earnings and equity returns in emerging markets?
1: Sure. So, well, I guess there's there's two aspects to it, right? So, as incomes rise, people start to travel more, they travel further, they tend to spend more more money when they do travel, they tend to buy more luxury goods. So, this is where the earnings bit will, will benefit. But also, because the opportunity set within the emerging market index is changing and it's becoming full of... Innovative companies in sectors like consumer discretionary, healthcare, um, information technology, rather than some of the more cyclical industries, as we were in the pa- as we saw in the past, typically these sort of companies do warrant higher valuations, and, and so the shareholder returns could be uh, boosted through um, through the multiple uh, portion of that as well.
0: Hmm. You referred to it already earlier in this uh, podcast, uh, no index investing. Why would you say an active approach is key to invest in emerging markets?
1: Sure. So, well, I, I guess there are several issues with with the indices. So I I describe them as four Cs. So there mm-hmm. is the classification. Um, you know, for instance, FTSE and MSCI classify uh, South Korea uh, differently. You know, there are issues around concentration of of those indices. So Alibaba, at some point in 2020, was 8.7 percent of the entire index. Right. So it's it's very very. Good at reflecting what's done well in the past, but not necessarily what um, what can do well in the future, right? And that kind of brings us to the next C, which is capturing the the, the full opportunity set. In EM, you know, sectors like healthcare, for instance, are still very, very small. So ideally, we don't want to be investing in a, in a momentum strategy and just capturing what's done well in the past, but instead looking um, to the, the new younger opportunity sets and then really um, finding interesting investments there. And then, of course, there are composition changes. So sometimes, you know, as with Argentina rejoining MSCI Emerging Markets, right between the two period of currency devaluation, you know, these may not be necessarily the best, the best point in time to uh, to to uh, either start or stop investing in a country.
0: Hmm. I, I like the, the four Cs as a, as a reminder classification, concentration, capturing uh, the opportunity set, the full opportunity set, and composition changes, if I'm correct, right? That's right. Uh, so what would you say, Valeria, is key to identifying uh, investment opportunities in, in emerging markets?
1: So, well, we believe in an active approach, right? We mm-hmm. think that, is, that can generate better returns for, for shareholders. And in order for that to work, we believe in doing on the ground research. So really doing your homework in, 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 in these countries. So we need to take time to meet with companies, to analyze their financial statements, to really understand the vision that management have for the company, but also meeting with suppliers, customers, really taking time to understand what is driving the business and where the next growth opportunities will be. We believe that is the best way to to identify good investment opportunities in EM and and also getting them into the portfolios early as well. That's quite key. Mm.
0: And I also believe that you consider the bottom-up approach to be better than a top-down approach. Uh, so why is that?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a good question, because I guess we often say growth prospects are stronger in EM. And that is definitely true. But the the link, the correlation between GDP growth and stock market return in a country is not perfect, right? So sometimes you can have a situation where a country is growing quite rapidly, but perhaps stock markets have not done so well, particularly in US dollar terms. Turkey, for instance, is a, is a good example of that. You know, other, other things that sort of break that correlation um, is presence of multinational companies. right? So if we think about Mexico, for instance, you know car industry accounts for about eighteen percent of manufacturing but there is no Mexican car companies to invest into and then there is state ownership um, that that's another um, another factor that tends to um, distort that link as well so when you identify a country um, it, it, it that's not to follow that there will be good, necessarily good investment opportunities there, despite maybe high growth. And the, the opposite is true as well. So perhaps Brazil has a challenging macroeconomic um, backdrop at the moment and, and political backdrop. But that's not to say there are not interesting investment opportunities in the country. You know, For instance, there's a lot of um, digital payment companies that are disrupting local banks that are, have, have been phenomenal investments, uh, investments over the last several years. Hmm.
0: Uh, Maybe a final question to to wrap up this interview, Valeria. Um, When we say emerging markets, we're actually talking about over 60 different countries uh, worldwide. And I wonder, as an investor, how do you keep up with the future growth in size and diversity of, of all these countries?
1: It's a, it's a it's a great question, and certainly the Capital Group is is well positioned for that because of our size. Really, you know, we we are able to put analysts, experienced analysts, on the ground in some of these key markets, and you know our analysts have an average 15 years of investment experience, and they, you know, some of them have been covering the their sectors for well over a decade. So this the fact that we invest for the long term, and the fact that Um, you know, our size, just, you know, we we have over 77 billion in EM-focused strategies alone. Um, Mm -hmm. All this gives us um, access to management, for instance, and and access to key decision makers and companies. So all that helps a lot.
0: Thank you so much, uh, Valeria, for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to a podcast on investing in emerging markets into the new decade. I would like to thank today's guest, Valeria Vine, Equity Investment Specialist at Capital Group, for her time and her insights. This podcast is offered to you by Capital Group. If you'd like to know more about investing in emerging markets, please visit the Capital Group website, capitalgroup.com. And for more podcasts, please visit the Fondsnews website, fondsnews.nl forward slash podcast. This podcast
1: has been recorded in September 2021 and the information presented is for illustrative purposes only. While Capital Group uses reasonable efforts to obtain information from third-party sources which it believes to be reliable, Capital Group makes no representation or warranty as to the accuracy, reliability or completeness of the information. Any opinion, estimate or forecast is subject to change. This communication is of a general nature and not intended to provide investment advice, or to be a solicitation to buy or sell any securities. Statements attributed to an individual represent the opinions of that individual and may not necessarily reflect the view of Capital Group or its affiliates. American funds are not registered for sale outside of the United States. Emerging markets are volatile and may suffer from liquidity problems.